Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 37, please. Two summers ago, we worked through some of the Proverbs, and we looked at principles that we can apply from Proverbs, and it wasn't deliberate, but last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 36, at least in part, and I thought that maybe we would just do a little bit of a mini-series through some random Psalms. I just happened to be reading through them, and I thought, well, let's go from 36 to 37. So this morning, we are going to be looking at Psalm 37. The title of the message this morning is, Is Your Life Marked by Fretting? That's a word that it uses in there, so we'll come to that. Is your life marked by fretting or by faith? That's a good question for us today. Is your life marked by fretting or by faith? Psalm 37 is an interesting psalm. It's attributed to King David at the very beginning. Otherwise, nothing specific is said about him. It doesn't speak actually about an actual event or incident. At least we can't trace it to a specific time in his life where he is responding to it as far as we know. Or it's not even speaking to a particular train of thought or dilemma that relates to his generation specifically. It's also unique because it's actually alphabetical in the Hebrew language, as you work through, every two verses would be the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That makes absolutely no difference to us practically because I don't read Hebrew. And we're just going to take it as what it says. But it's interesting because there's no breakdown as far as this is the first, the second, and the third portion of it. It's just going verse by verse or two verses at a time based on the alphabet. But in the midst of that, it does have a theme. So it's random, and yet there's a theme that is carried out throughout the whole thing. Psalm 37 is an examination of an age-old question. It's kind of like the the questions that, um, though they may be answered, every generation or so they're up for debate and for discussion again, such as the question of the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Or why do good things, bad things happen to good people, or vice versa as well? Or what is truth? These are questions that have been philosophized about since time began, and probably will be until Jesus Christ comes back again. And so this is addressing one such question. Now, the unspoken question that is answered here, at least my take on this unspoken question is, why do the ungodly prosper and the righteous suffer? And if you need further on that, you can turn to Psalm 73 as well, which speaks specifically to that, and is an incredible psalm. But why do the ungodly prosper and why do the wicked suffer? So David is philosophizing, he's, he's thinking about this, and he's speaking about this, and he's sharing his view, a God-ordained view, a God-appointed view, because it is within the Word of God. So we would say, why does it happen? And I think for us, the most important question is, because it tells us that it does happen, how do we respond to it? And it deals some with that as well. I think it deals primarily with that. How do we respond when we see the ungodly prosper? In other words, sinful people get ahead, and believers, I mean, this is Old Testament, but still in principle, suffer. How do we respond to that? And that's why I have titled it, Is Your Life Marked by Fretting or by Faith? When we see evil, when we see sin, and we see wickedness, not only go unchallenged, but often rewarded, and when we see or experience suffering for doing what is right, how do we respond? By fretting? That is, by being anxious and annoyed or even angry about it, or by faith in our great God who does all things well. How do we respond? 
My prayer is that as we have our perspective realigned with reality as God sees it and as he presents it within this passage, and as we look at things in light of eternity through this passage as well, that we will be encouraged and equipped to respond to each situation or experience through faith rather than by fretting. Before we read Psalm 1, I want to give you my breakdown of its main points. As I mentioned, you can't divide the passage up into blocks and say the first half speaks to this and the second half speaks of this, but you will notice themes repeated throughout this passage. This is what I think the two major themes of the passage are. And this is what I believe David is attempting to communicate. Evil may triumph in the moment, but suffers eternally. That's the first point. And righteousness may suffer in the moment, but triumph eternally. I want to make sure you got that. You got to get the right time period with the triumph or with the, um, with the suffering, okay? Evil may triumph in the moment, but suffers eternally. Righteousness may suffer in the moment, but triumphs eternally. See if you can catch those repeated themes as we read Psalm 37, and we are going to read the entire passage this morning. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the freedom that we still have to have your word, to read your word, to proclaim your word, and the enablement that we have by your spirit to bring our lives into line with the truth of your word. Lord, we ask that you would accomplish that in us this morning, that you would give us a will to hear and to heed what you have to say to us, a desire to apply it, a joy in the application of your word. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as well as we read and as we uh, come to understand it and as we apply it, as we seek to apply it, that you would grant us wisdom in exactly how to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 37, a psalm of David. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken." A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadow, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, 
and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is every merciful, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. I hope you were able to catch those themes. Evil may triumph in a moment, but suffers eternally. Righteousness may suffer in a moment, but triumphs eternally. I want to look at a couple examples of each of those, and then we'll come back to our response. Our faith in God, rather than fretting about the temporary success of the wicked. Do you see the present state of the wicked in the world around you? Do you agree that evil may triumph in the moment but suffer eternally? Their lot at times, those who are non-believers, those who are bent on sin particularly, those who are deliberate about doing evil, their lot at time seems good. It seems even enviable. Things go well for them, even though we feel that it shouldn't that when they don't do something that we, we see as having value, that it should go poorly for them. We question possibly why it is so easy for non-believers to do well or succeed. But when we do that, we are measuring success in the short term, when what truly matters is the eternal. And look about what the passage says, the eternal reward of wickedness is. The psalm starts off with a challenge to us, to those who are children of God, not to fret. But then it says, don't fret because the non-believers who do well right now, that which you would possibly be envious of, it says in verse 2, shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. What's the life cycle of a blade of grass? If left on its own, it may be for a summer, a couple brief months. But here it actually says it's cut down like the grass. This is their duration. If you're talking about a, a crop, Maybe it has the best part of a summer. If you're talking about my lawn, it has far too many weeks this summer because I haven't had a chance. And yet even with it, relatively speaking, it's got a very short life cycle. Short-lived. It may come up looking healthy and prosperous, looking good, but its end is destruction in a very short time, within a very short season. And that is all the glory that that grass will ever know is that short season. This passage is saying that that is reality for those who are evildoers. Verse 9, it says, For evildoers shall be cut off. 
Verse 10 says, yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. And it goes on to say that you won't even be able to find them even though you carefully search for them. Verse 15 says, the sword that they raise against the righteous will enter into their own heart. Verse 17 says, the arm of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 20 says, the wicked shall perish into smoke. They shall vanish away. You get the picture here. This is a major theme throughout this passage. Time and time and time again, it speaks about the brevity, the shortness of the wicked. Now we can look at this psalm, and it was written somewhere over 2,500 years ago, and we would say, well, evildoers were around then. They're still around today, so perhaps their duration isn't that short. And you may be right that evil is still permitted to exist. God is long-suffering and allows evil even to succeed in the short term. He is long-suffering with mankind. But in light of eternity, what has the past 2,500 years been but a blink in time? It's still relatively short, very short in light of eternity. And if you consider individual evildoers of those who have died over the past 2,500 years since this psalm was written, was their time long or short? Well, their life was short. And they will one day be resurrected to eternal death. That is, if they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if they have not submitted to God, they'll be resurrected to eternal death. While the saints who have lived in righteousness over that same period of time will be resurrected to eternal life. So side by side, evildoers are short-lived, while those who are righteous are eternally alive. Made alive in Christ and eternally alive. It is good for us to have an eternal perspective, particularly here on evil and evildoers. It is true that they may seem, or they do seem, to prosper here and now. And why wouldn't they? We live in a generation where we're on the tail end of it still being beneficial to be a believer. That is, you are still likely to succeed, or you are more likely to succeed. In North America, Canada and the States, we've been built on a Christian Judeo value, and we've been blessed in that. And so if you had the work ethic of a believer and you had honesty and integrity and all of these things, then it was likely that you would succeed. That is um, an anomaly. Throughout history, if you've been a follower of God in the short term, like in your lifetime, it was more expected or more anticipated that those separated from God would succeed. Why? Because if you were ultimately selfish, you're likely to get ahead. Versus if you're sacrificial... And if you're honest, and if you have integrity, you're not quite as likely, which is why it speaks about here of the evildoers doing so well. We need to have an eternal perspective, though, and that is that it is just for that lifetime, or just for that short window of time. If you're willing to play the system, take advantage of people, and if you're greedy and without guiding morals, you probably will get ahead to some degree or another. If your goal is simply and exclusively wealth and power, you're probably able to attain it in some degree. That's why the psalmist starts with a command to the children of God to not fret because of evildoers or be envious of them, especially that envious part. We wouldn't need to be told not to be envious of them if they didn't have something that we are naturally prone to be envious of, to want, right? If the immediate consequence of doing evil was suffering, I don't think many people would do it. And I don't think we'd be envious of them. (laughs) But the immediate fruit, or at least at times, the immediate fruit of evil is pleasant. It is pleasant fruit. Their apparent success, because sin bears pleasant fruit immediately, it's, it's there. Poisonous and deadly and destructive fruit in the long run, absolutely. 
but pleasant fruit immediately. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11, that sin does provide momentary pleasure. Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Moses, says, By faith Moses, when he became the age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, he looked to his reward. So there is such a thing as the passing pleasures of sin. That's what it's called. That short-term fruit of it. It can also be called the passing success of sin. It says in Job that the triumphing of the wicked is short, but it is there. And the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. It's there as well. Passing pleasure, passing success, momentary triumph. But it's all passing. We need to be reminded of that. Some of us need to have that really pounded into us, that it is that the what we feel as the pleasure of sin is short and passing and has eternal consequences. Sin does feel good for a moment, but it does lasting and often, not often, but sometimes, permanent damage. It is destructive. It leads to death spiritually and physically. And whether it is a crash after a sugar rush, there's immediate pleasure in a sugar rush, right? And there's a consequence to that when you crash. Or whether it's a hangover after an alcohol rush, or it's a heartache after an emotional rush, sin has consequence. It has consequence in this life and also in eternity. That's both on an individual scale and on a universal scale. Sin has consequence. Now, evil may triumph in the moment. It may provide something that is pleasurable in the moment, but it suffers long term. The counterside of that is that righteousness may suffer in the moment, but triumphs eternally. Look at the promises for the one who walks right before the Lord in this passage. Verse 9, those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Verse 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the earth. Verse 23 and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. On and on it goes, the eternal destiny of those who serve the Lord. It is good. It is secure. It is full of peace and prosperity. It is fullness of life forevermore. The temporary may hold struggles, but the eternal promise is peace. The temporary, for those who follow God in righteousness, may hold sorrow, but the eternal promise is joy unspeakable. The temporary may hold loss, but the eternal promise is all the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And this is from Psalm 37. It's amplified, it's magnified in the New Testament, right? These promises contained here. In Psalm 37, it's speaking about a physical possession, a physical inheritance, an actual land. Now, whether it's speaking about eternally or whether it's speaking looking forward to the return of the captives from Babylon to Israel, it's looking for something that is tangible and yet there's still promised of them. For us, it is, it's magnified beyond that, right? We, this light and momentary affliction, okay, the righteous suffer momentarily. For what? An eternal weight of glory. Which would you rather have? The pain in the short term and joy eternally? 
or joy in a short term and triumph in a short term and sorrow eternally. We know that this principle here, that the righteous suffer short term and triumph eternally, we we know that principle not just in spiritual matters as well, right? I, I hope that you know this principle in just life. What do you do? You... You suffer short-term, they call it uh, short-term pain for long-term gain, right? We know the principle. Uh, That sounds familiar to us. Investing in the future, saving for a rainy day, building a nest egg. We understand that instant gratification is often very unhealthy, especially long-term. And so we sacrifice some in the short-term of that instant gratification for the long-term payoff. So it isn't too great a stretch for us to see that in the spiritual realm as well. We live right. We act righteously and we take our lumps for now in some ways, knowing that God blesses obedience, that God rewards obedience. So we build with gold, silver, and precious stone rather than wood, hay, and stubble from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, knowing that each one's work will become clear for the day that is the day of judgment will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward. So we build now, we work now, and at times we suffer now for an eternal reward. We are not living for what we can get out of this life right now. Possessions and earthly pleasures will fade. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 has a good perspective on it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and all the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So don't invest in things that don't matter, but in things which last eternally. But getting back to the point, righteousness may suffer for the moment, but it triumphs eternally. I want to be concerned with that eternal triumph more than temporary pleasures, or even more than temporary suffering. I want to be concerned with that eternal triumph, and I pray that God causes us to see whatever it is that we may be going through, even our suffering, as light and momentary affliction, as Paul calls it, for an eternal reward. So these two points sum up the major theme through this psalm. Evil may triumph in the moment, but suffers eternally, and righteousness may suffer in the moment, but triumphs eternally. And every time I say that, I'm not sure if I say it in the right order, because I look back at the verse, uh, what I said right before me. So I hope I'm saying that in the right order, and I hope you're getting that. That is reality. As... Proclaimed in this passage, evil might be good right now, but it suffers. Righteousness may not be enjoyable right now, but it's rewarded eternally. That is reality. That is how God has ordained it to be. Now, there may be exceptions. There will be. There are exceptions. We know exceptions to that, right? Especially on the short term. There may be an evildoer who doesn't experience any success or pleasure in the short term. That's very true. And there may be a righteous person who doesn't experience suffering, or at least very, very little of it in the short term. But the principle still stands, particularly as it pertains to the eternal. Evil and evildoers, all those that are opposed to God and rebel against Him, that is every single person in their unregenerate state, everyone who has not come to know Him as Lord and Savior, will suffer eternally. And every person who is righteous in Jesus Christ will triumph eternally. So that part, that is set in stone. Maybe in the short term, we'll have varying experiences But even there in principle, every person who is unregenerate will say, everyone who does evil 
may experience pleasure in the short term. And the ungodly prosper, right? And everyone who does righteousness may suffer in the short term. But once again, we're more concerned with the long term, with the eternal, than we are with the short term. So that brings us, if that is a reality, that is the actual case in the world around us, and it is, it brings us to that major question that I asked at the beginning. How do we respond to that? The answer is laid out for us in this passage. It tells us how we ought not to respond, and it tells us how we ought to respond. What we should not do is we should not fret about it. This apparently unjust reality, this unappealing reality that evil triumphs short-term, and that righteousness at times suffers short-term, this at times disdained reality should not cause us anxiety. It shouldn't cause us anger. It shouldn't cause us frustration. It shouldn't cause us to lose any sleep or get under our skins. Even the prevalence and seeming triumph of sin in our world today, not just that we see it in an individual, but in our world today, should not cause us to fret. And this, I think, is where the application is, maybe more so than an individual. We look at an individual, they're a, they're a wicked person, they're bent on doing sin, and we say, you know, they're just enjoying the pleasures of sin for a moment, but they're going to suffer eternally. We might see that, we might not see that. We might see two opposite people doing the same thing, but having different consequences. But when we look out of the world today, and we see that evil seems to be doing so well, that evil seems to be successful, or that we worry that it's going to be successful. Aren't we doing that? Don't we, aren't we prone to do that? And, and we live in an age, and I believe we are closer to Christ's return than we've ever been. It may be today, it may be tomorrow. Wickedness abounds. But we see that, and we are prone, I am prone, to get anxious about it, to fret about it. The word fret that's used in this verse means an agitation of mind or an irritation according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Originally, it had the idea of wearing something away. To fret at something was to wear it away by applying constant friction. Some synonyms would, would be uh, chafe or rub, wear or corrode. The picture being that it eats away at something else. Don't allow the reality of the world around you, the fact that evil seems to be succeeding, to eat away at you. What situation are you allowing in the world today, to irritate or frustrate you? What evil is getting under your skin? What success of evildoers is like a burr under your saddle? It's wearing at you. Evil may triumph in the moment, but suffers eternally. Righteousness may suffer in the moment, but it triumphs eternally. So rather than allow that reality and the presence of and prevalence at time of evil doing well to cause you to fret, Turn to God in faith. Don't fret, but turn to God in faith. Look at the commands given to the child of God in the first few verses of this passage. Remember, this, this psalm is, is for the child of God, right? It's for a follower of God. This is not a psalm that's given to tell evildoers to stop doing evil. It's for the child of God saying, listen, even though this is a reality, don't get caught up in it. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. So don't fret about it, but, verse 3, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your ways to the Lord. Verse uh, 7, rest also in the Lord. There you have your options. You are not going to be able to change the reality. And the evil that is in the world at times is going to succeed or appear to succeed for short term. You can either fret about it. You can't change it. 
so you can trust God. Stop getting anxious about it. Stop getting upset about it. Trust Him with it. Delight in Him. Commit your ways to God and rest in Him. It really, for me, comes down to verse 3 in this passage. In regards to everything that's happening, and this is 2,500 years ago. It's amazing how it's timeless, isn't it? 2,500 years ago, the psalmist David was saying to the people of Israel, Stop fretting. God's in control. Stop fretting. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Don't like the situation around you? Trust in the Lord and do good. Concerned about the moral decline in our nation? Trust in the Lord and do good. Worried about your financial situation? Trust in the Lord and do good. Whatever it is. It'd be good for us, actually, to put our situation down on pen and paper, whether it's personal or globally, and say it, name it, and and say, all right, in light of that, I will trust in the Lord and do good. I will trust Him. You'll never go wrong doing that. Trusting Him and doing good. You may not be loved or appreciated for it. You may even heap more suffering upon yourself because of it. Temporarily. But it will all be worthwhile eternally if you trust in the Lord and do good. Evil may prosper in the moment, but suffers eternally. Righteousness may suffer in the moment, but triumphs eternally. So choose to live a life marked by faith and not by fretting. In the midst of that reality, trust in the Lord and do good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. We thank you that your word has stood the test of time. And whatever situation David may be personally experiencing, or whether it was just what was happening in the nation, or even if he was just wrestling through an eternal question, an ageless question, we thank you that the answer to that is recorded here. That yes, it may happen. That wicked seems to prosper. Evil seems to prosper. Righteousness seems at times to suffer. But we can trust in you and do good, knowing that you have all things under your control, and that you reward appropriately, eternally. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes that are fixed upon eternity. Not that we would forget to live now, that we would live pleasing to you and and joyful, celebrating and exuberant in life, that we would live there, but that we would also accept that there is an inequality which is in the world today which will not be made right until you return. Until evil is defeated, and that includes our own evil, our own sin. We thank you that you are coming one day and you will make right every wrong that you will come as the pure and righteous and true judge. You will judge rightly. And there will be eternal consequences to that. May May we be anticipating your soon return. May we be living in light of that. May we be living pleasing to you, surrendered to you, trusting in you and doing all the good that you call us to do. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.